This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi everyone and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today I'm discussing the future of work with PwC Workforce Transformation Specialist, Caitlin Guilfoyle. Caitlin Guilfoyle is a Workforce Transformation Specialist with over 15 years of experience in Australia and overseas in roles within public and private enterprise. She's a leader within PwC's Future of Work practice. PwC or PricewaterhouseCoopers Consulting is an international professional services brand of firms. Caitlin develops the firm's point of view in market and supports clients across all industries to help them prepare for their future of work now. Caitlin holds an MBA and is a certified member of the Australian Human Resources Institute, also known as ARI. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much, for Amanda. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have a chat with you. And we recently met over a conference about this very topic. But first of all, what drew you into HR and to do an MBA? I think that it was definitely unintentional, to be honest. And I, I had this discussion recently with someone that I never really intentionally planned my career. I just said yes to the right opportunities when they came across my door. So I, my first HR role was in recruitment many, many years ago. And I just, I had a family friend who had asked me if I, if I wanted to be part of her recruitment company because she thought I was great with people. And I said, yes. Sounds great. And, you know, probably 20 years later, we found ourselves here and I'm working in this space. And I naturally fell into a, you know, a career, first of all, in HR and then into the more strategic elements of HR, which I really enjoy and, you know, obviously still have a lot to do with to this day. About when I did my MBA, I, I wanted to make sure that as a HR practitioner, I was broader. I understood everything that was going around in organizations and how Mm. people connected to those issues. I thought it was really important that HR didn't just operate in a silo and that it understood marketing and finance and operations. And that would make me a better HR practitioner if I did that. And I was absolutely right. Even though I didn't have the intention of moving into a different area, it's made me a much broader specialist that I understand all of those other organizational elements. And it must really pay off in terms of the work you currently do or have done for the last 15 years in this area of transformation. Yes, absolutely. So what is workforce transformation? Well, I think about it in a few different ways, but essentially what we're trying to understand is how do we think about our workforce in a much more strategic way than just the people that we have and the headcount that we have and the people doing mm. their roles? How do we think about as organizations need to grow and shift into the future, it's really the people that are going to get us there. So when we start to elevate that view of the organization and moving out into a broader strategic narrative, how are our people going to facilitate this change, facilitate this change? 
change in our organizations or in achieving what our organizations need to do. And we really need to take a step back and look at that and think about things like strategic workforce planning and what we need our workforce to look like, to be like, to feel like, to be skilled like in, Mm -hmm. you know, five, 10 years time to be able to meet those much more broader strategic needs is really, really important as resources are the number one cost of organizations in in most senses. And they are the ones that will either make or break the achieving of, of goals and particularly for services organizations where, you know, your people really are your competitive advantage. Making sure that you take a much more strategic look at those is is really critical. Yeah. And as we were saying off air, our areas overlap so nicely that we see as organizational psychologists that the people organization relationship is critical that we're even talking now about job crafting, but organization crafting that employees are being encouraged to do within the organization and in that relationship space. So of course it's not independent of the organization, but that I guess that's how you're transforming as well, that your employees are part of that transformation. Yes, and we've really realized, particularly I think in the last few years, how important it is to think about it at the strategic level, but also think about the individuals transforming, as you just mm. said. The, the example I like to give at the moment is we used to always talk about people bringing their whole selves to work. Yeah. And I think we were originally talking about it from a, a diversity and inclusion perspective. But now when we're talking about it, we're really talking about who are these people as individuals and how can we support their development and growth over time as they contribute to these organizations because we realize how important that they are. And I think that that's been a real shift in terms of looking at it just as a cost or as a resource, we're really starting to understand that link, that really strong link between the individual and who people are and their contribution to the broader organization and how important that link is. And especially in this time where employees want to be seen as people first and workers second. So PwC's really stepped up to that, to meet that, that need in people since the pandemic that people have changed their whole perspective and organizations are having to, and PwC definitely seems to be. Yes. And we, I think we realized that, you know, the, barriers between work and life have been completely obliterated, which is a really good thing when it when it comes to people wanting to integrate their work and personal lives in a much more seamless way and as to be much more flexible around the organization and people. Yeah. But it's also challenging as well because it means that the traditional boundaries that we had in place between work and life don't exist anymore. Mm. So we need to rethink what that looks like from the organizational perspective perspective, we need to recognize that those boundaries have been obliterated, but how do we help people to put them in place so that we can still support work-life integration and flexibility? However, we take that greater role in caring for our people because we know that they give much more of themselves to, to our organizations, and we absolutely needed to recognize that. Look, exactly. And that's how we met really through a conference that was all about this new way of working, this hybrid way of working that I think you're also alluding to and that major transformation in the workplace that's come about. And 
you know, organisational psychologists have been saying organisations need to offer and need to respect that hybrid working is here to stay. And yet recently I heard that some organisations are not going to be allowing that. So I guess it's a full gamut that we're looking at in terms of from one end of the spectrum, a very hybrid way of working and flexible working, as you're saying, and at the other end, some organisations not allowing that. How do you see this playing out? Yes, well, it's been interesting because this is when we look at it again from quite a high level up. This has been the biggest change to modern work that we have seen in probably a hundred years. Wow. So when we think about the modern day work week, which came in with, you know, Henry Ford in the twenties, there haven't been that many changes over time to work. And we'd started to see work-life balance creep into the conversation and we'd started to see, you know, mm. things like health and well-being and yeah. wellness creep into the conversation. However, we haven't really pushed significant changes to work in this time. And so all of a sudden the pandemic did it for us. And I think a lot of organizations expected to go back to the way things were before, noting that these changes were being slowly pushed by people. Yeah. And that's the important thing. And I think if we weren't in the labor market, the challenging labor market that we are now, some organizations probably would have pushed harder on going back to, you know, what things were like before because it was challenging for them to understand that there was a fundamental shift in ways of working mm. and that you needed to really think about how that was going to work from your organization perspective. And when, you know, I was really thinking about this the other day from a leadership perspective and we still see leaders struggling with with this change and some organizations don't want to lean into it mm. and they're really when you think about it their entire lives their entire careers have been built on this traditional way of working yep. and all of a sudden this has come in and there's a real loss of power and control mm. and trust at the heart of it yeah. so I can completely understand why this change is very, very difficult for some leaders and organizations. However, at the heart of it, we need to remember that this was already starting to happen beforehand. It just was accelerated. Yes. And this is what people have very, very clearly articulated that they want now. And we've seen that it can work as well. Yeah. This was, you know, essentially the largest working from home experiment that we'd ever seen. And it worked. It wasn't perfect. And there are definitely elements that we need to go now and intentionally design and craft. However, largely it worked. And I think that that was, you know, if it was just three months that that had happened for, things would have gone back, but it hasn't. We're two and a half years down the track now mm. and it worked. So there really is no going back now. And I think for organizations who are trying to go back, they're going to find themselves in a very difficult position because they won't get the people that they need. People have said that they want flexibility. Our research yeah. has been very, very clear in showing this, as have many other research, you know, mm. studies and papers. People want flexibility and they are not willing to go back where they didn't have it now. And they don't have to because, as you say, there's <laughs> many organisations, most, I guess, offering the hybrid work. Yes, exactly. And as you say, I mean, leaders, if not all, were so shocked, blindsided by the sudden work from home model that they weren't prepared for, they weren't trained for, and many fell into micromanaging, I read, and many must still need the training, I guess, to manage remotely. Yes, 
it's that's a really, really important point. There's a couple of things. I think when we talk about really high-level organizational leadership, we're leading in a different world right mm. now. We're leading in a world with a lot of, with conflict going on, with, you know, an accelerated rate of change, with new technology. As the C-suite, I've got a lot, and boards have got enormous amounts of challenges to deal with in the external environment. And then when we think about the day-to-day leaders in our organizations who are working with teams to, you know, achieve organizational outcomes, this is completely new for them. Yes. You know, and we're putting enormous amounts of pressure on these leaders and they have Mm. never been trained for it. They've never been prepared for it. They haven't been given the skills to be able to thrive and lead in this environment. Yeah. An exciting time, especially in your role. And how do you track the changes and help organisations prepare for future and the future of work? Well, I mean, at a, a very basic level, we just keep our eye on the pulse when it comes to, you know, to looking at the news and start to identify when relevant trends are going to be relevant for organizations. So yeah. keeping an eye on global things and, and, and what's happening in different global organizations is really, really critical. But then it really is the translation of that. What does this mean for our people? Mm. So, and one of the examples that I like to give is when we think about, you know, global supply chain challenges or conflict, you know, what does that really mean practically for organizations and people? Well, you know, the general family and the general worker is seeing the, the very real impact of those things on the hip pocket at the moment. You know, the prices of inflation and the prices of supply chains and, you know, all of these things, they're impacting workers and those workers are bringing in these challenges to organizations. And again, that link has been obliterated and we have to understand the pressure that people are feeling feeling at the moment when it comes to these things. And then when it comes to things like, you know, remuneration, again, these trends are really important to recognize what's going on. They have to be reflected. So that's one thing is really understanding what's going on in the global market and translating in those trends really down to the organization where we say, what is the impact on the organization? What is the impact of people on these things? And what do we need to do about it? What do we need to do as organizations and leaders and as individuals as well to be able to deal with some of these things? And not only the ones now, but how can we start to get ahead of some of these things so that we're not in such a reactive mode into the future Mm. how can we think about bringing in scenario planning not just business continuity but scenario planning into the work that we do so that we're more prepared when things happen in the future yes and as I guess you're implying as well with inflation rising and pay rises not keeping abreast of it individuals are going to be seeking organizations that do meet that challenge Yes. And this is a very, very real pressure at the moment on organizations and which is particularly challenging, obviously, for small business to, you know, deal with the rising supply challenges that, you know, and the rising cost of goods that they are experiencing, Mm. as well as the rising cost of, you know, their employees when they're in a resourcing drought. So they don't have enough people as it is. And the people that they have, you know, need to 
be paid enough to also deal with the rising cost of living. It's a really, really challenging situation, one that's very real for organizations at the moment. And when we think about this supply shortage of workers, you know, it might not even be that people want to leave organizations, but they might have to when it comes to things like remuneration. And that is really, really challenging. So organizations must be pivoting again to keep up with this demand pressure on them to increase pay as well as deal with the pressures on them of resources, of costs. Yeah, big challenge for organizations to to know how to pivot. Yeah, and I think, you know, in in your space as well, another one of the big challenges which directly plays into this is, you know, mental health and well-being because all of these pressures are having an impact on the workforce. They're Mm. having an impact on the mindsets and the mental health of our workforces. So this is another challenge which is huge at the moment for organisations to need to really lean into in a very authentic way. And that again was imposed on organisations overnight, the need to become savvy about their mental health, the mental health of their workers. And we see now first aid courses in mental health being part of the organisation's fabric. And as you say, all of these trends were there. They were already there before the pandemic, but all of them have escalated in the need for them. Yes, Absolutely which is a good thing in that it's making us more understanding of mental health. However, it's an unfortunate way of having to come to that point. So when you talk about working across industries, I guess you've already touched on the things that they have in common, but industries are also very diverse. Do you find that there are challenges in terms of transformation, being a transformation specialist across industries? Absolutely. I think that one of the biggest things is culture of organizations in industries. So if we're thinking about the technology industry and the culture in these organizations and likely the operating models, you know, they're agile, they move at speed, they have different decision-making rights in their organization and authorizing environments that they do. They don't have steeped culture over, you know, decades. You know, they're much more agile. When you compare that to, say, you know, the healthcare industry, And, and, you know, some of those frontline industries, well, A, they're just dealing with, you know, the day-to-day operations, but B, change in those organizations and in those industries is very, very hard and Mm. understandably so. It's important and it's important that we still continue to think about how we optimize those industries and organizations, particularly from a workforce perspective, but the journey is very very different. And that's why it's really important that we nuance what we do depending on the organization because you're working in a a tech organization one day, you know, the approach that you take the next day to a healthcare organization is completely different. Wow, that's so true. And as I mentioned, we met through a conference promoting the technology for hybrid work. So, I'm wondering how you found giving the keynote at that conference and, and what points were important to you? Mm, I think it was great. And I think what's really important and what shone through at that conference is 
This is a tech company, you know, like many at the moment, which are really trying to understand the impact on the end user and the customer. So from their perspective, it's what's the technology that's going to enable this change that has happened? You know, people are using technology very differently at the moment. I mean, you know, we're speaking from our houses, which, you know, would have never happened before. So we need appropriate technology to be able to support that. You know, if we're working in an office, we also need, you know, technology to support that. And potentially, I mean, our research showed that people want to go into the office to access better and more advanced technology than they have access to at home. So understanding these trends and the impact on the end user is important for technology companies. So I think it's really great to have those conversations to say, how are people changing and what does that mean for, you know, technology companies? or other companies which are providing goods and services and how do they need to recognize the change in the environment and respond accordingly with how they approach their customers and their end users. So again, keeping an eye of trends and what they really, really mean at a very pragmatic level. And as you say, different industries would have different technological requirements and therefore it would enable engagement, employee engagement, very differentially across industries, this this new hybrid technology. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, again, you think about, you know, what a truck driver needs to, you know, enable technology and there's pieces that they can now do, you know, before they get in the truck from home, they now are using technology that they've never used before. So it's not just even, you know, knowledge workers and office workers, it's workers, you know, because when we're thinking about it, organizations have have also looked at their workforces, even if they don't have that, you know, that white collar workforce and they've said, how how do we change? How do we get more efficient and effective? And how do we enable flexibility? And part of that has been looking around again when we're thinking about from an all design perspective. What are the tasks and activities that happen for people, and how can we think about those differently? So it might be that you know truck drivers or you know other frontline workers are actually doing bits and pieces of their role from offices or from locations outside of you know their primary workspace, and they need different technologies to be able to support that you know even city workers they used to have a you know a really paper-based system when they you know went around and now they're using ipads and other technology as well so it's not only important to understand how can we optimize and make our workforce more efficient through technology but really importantly do our workforce have the skills and knowledge to be able to use that technology efficiently and effectively to be able to get the most out of it? And that was the other conversation that we had at the conference to say, what is the role of these technology companies to make sure that technology is used to its full potential? Yeah, and I imagine that, and I don't know the research on this, but I imagine the pandemic must have helped people to step up technologically and embrace technology much more than before. Yes, absolutely. And I saw something really great the other day, which was, you know, a class for, you know, I'll say, you know, elderly population on how to just navigate iPhones and, you know, so they can be connected. And, you know, I think that that, that 
taking a look at that from a generational perspective is also important as just different needs of our communities and and how we can be enabled by technology. But I think that it's really important to think about, you know, that even that older generation who were, you know, may have been in nursing homes or Mm. care facilities, you know, years ago, we wouldn't have had the technology so that we could stay connected to our loved ones, you know, in that environment if we couldn't visit them. So, Mm. you know, it's, it's so wonderful, but we need to make sure again that end users know how to use the technology that is going to enable their lives, whether that's from an organizational perspective, you know, from a workforce lens or from just, you know, the technology companies who, who provide this technology. Yeah, and breaking down that resistance, the barriers that often people have to new technology, because as you say, it's connectivity. And who doesn't want to be connected, particularly when our connections were dismantled by the pandemic. And so finding new ways to be connected, no matter what generation you are, no matter what industry you're in, or not working even, that's got to be a big driver of the use of technology. Yes, absolutely. And it was funny because I saw a study the other day that came out of the ANU. It was talking specifically about mental health and psychological distress. However, it did talk about social connection, which is, you know, incredibly important. And that, you know, again, demographics have an impact on how people's social connection either thrived or didn't thrive. So, you know, a person living in Victoria, you know, their social connection would have had to have looked different when they were in periods of lockdown for a longer time. Mm. And likewise, different age groups approached this challenge differently as well. And as we move forward now, I mean, and this is definitely your area of expertise more than mine, we need to understand how we make sure that people are socially connected because of the impact that that has on them. Oh, very much so on their mental health, on their resilience. And a lot of people will not have really come out from that disconnection that they had. You know, we see a lot of kids still wearing masks to hide, not because they fear the the germs and pandemic, but they're just socially so self-conscious now because they're not used to being social. So anything we can do to help people reconnect and, and come back out again from being disconnected, I think is so important. Absolutely. And there's an organizational role to play in that as well as a broader sort of society and and community role to play in that as well. So again, I hate to throw more challenges at organizations at the moment because I know that they've got a lot. However, that is, that is a really important one, particularly when we're thinking about new starters to organizations. How can we, you know, establish those connections and networks if we're still in a hybrid environment or if we're in a remote environment? How can we make sure that we help these people form meaningful connections in our organizations? Yeah. And to that point, some of the things I've heard people do is plan the day they go into the office or the days they go in so that the whole team is in the office. I heard people meeting in cafes with co-workers. What are some of the other ways you've seen that people have been able to reconnect? Yeah, well, I think that they're really good ones. And what a lot of that comes down to as well as intentionally planning your hybrid life. Yeah. So, you know, if we're, if we're thinking as a team, you know, you come together as a team and you say, okay, so we've got a couple of variables here. We've got our individual preferences and our individual lives. We've got our team lives mm-hmm. and the responsibility that we have to others. And we've got our organizational outcomes or our job outcomes. So how do we bring those pieces together and work out 
how we can make sure that we fill all those needs. And part of that is, you know, this connection as a team. So, but if we do that individually, we won't be able to say, you know, let's come in on Wednesdays Mm. and, you know, make the most of that because what we also need to do is diary plan for Wednesdays. So we're not sitting on Zoom meetings all day. And then, you know, it's a waste of time being together. Mm. So much more intentional thought needs to be placed now on how do we optimize for this? How do we design for it? How do we plan for it? And again, at the organizational level, there definitely should be, you know, connection events and things that really have meaning for people so that they do want to be part of that. Mm. You know, making sure that during the onboarding process, people's networks are really clear and they help to facilitate that, but then leaving it also to teams to work out what's going to work for them. Do they come in a day a week to the office? Do they have, you know, do they meet at a cafe? Do you have walking circles or coffee Mm -hmm. catch-ups or or what have you there's so many great examples that we're seeing at the moment and and it can be in person or also virtually noting that I think that people got a bit over the quarantinies but making sure that there is meaningful connection is really really important that the organization can somewhat facilitate that as well. And what a big ask this is for leaders to to learn this nuanced way of managing that how do you be a facilitator of all of this, yes. you know, that you're trying to look after individual employees' needs and wishes to make the team work together as well. How do you make help make these decisions between team members to negotiate a certain day or days and ways of working together? Yes. It must be very challenging for leaders. Yes, it's a lot. And like I said, they haven't been prepared for this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from my perspective, I think that we we also need to allow time for it. We can't just say that these things are in addition to your job Mm -hmm. because – it's really important where we're reducing the importance of these activities if we don't give them time. Yeah. A, time to learn how do I do this? How do I work with my team to facilitate this? But just how do I have time for this in addition to my responsibilities? We are diminishing the importance if we don't give people time for this. It is incredibly complex. We need to make sure that they have the skills, the information, the knowledge, and the support for this and the time going forward so that they can really do it meaningfully. And are you seeing any training processes around this? I think so. We're starting to see it more now. And so I think one of the great things is, and you touched on this as well, is mental health, you know, first aid training and mental health and wellness training in organizations. And we're starting to see more around how do we make sure that we're working as a team effectively and how do we think about team effectiveness. Mm -hmm. But I think there needs to be much more. There's an opportunity for organizations to do much more and and before people get to that leadership level or that middle management as well, I think so often we just say you're promoted and here's your team and good luck to you. And yes, we'll put on some training along the way, but we need to be doing this before they get to that so that it's not just a sudden, you know, rush of responsibilities that they're walking into completely underprepared. So not only is it you know, new training about this environment, but it's also how can we think about this development journey mm-hmm. more holistically so that people are much more prepared for it. And prepared for the uncertain because that must be a huge part of your work that how you anticipate 
things that you can't plan for. You can't know if a sudden lockdown is about to happen again or another strain or another pandemic and, and who can really see around the corner? None of us. Yes, exactly. I think none of it, we'd all love crystal balls, but yeah. we don't have them. But there's a few things that you can do. So scenario planning at an organizational level is really important. Yep. And from a workforce perspective as well, really important. You know, also and more than business continuity planning, as I said earlier. So yes, there needs to be business continuity planning in terms of how do we keep the lights on. Yep. But this is really strategic. This mm-hmm. is say, how do we still thrive as an organization if this A, B or C was happening. And the other thing is preparing people to be able to react in uncertain environments and thrive in uncertain environments and giving them the tools to be able to do so. And one of the things that we've already touched on, which really does make a difference is meaningful connection and engagement. Because I think that the other thing about leadership these days is it's a bit of a different model than we had beforehand. Yes. So we used to have very authoritarian leadership where yeah. leaders would have all the answers and they would direct very firmly from the top. And these days we're seeing much more bottom-up leadership, but we're also seeing much more consensus leadership mm. and you know employee voice, which plays into the direction. And I think that building up those meaningful connections with teams so that leaders feel you know, empowered to say, how do we work through this together as a team? And sometimes there are processes in which you can take to be able to do that. But leaders have to be able to say these days to people, I don't have all the answers and that's okay. We will work through this together. And sometimes we'll test things and they won't work. Mm. But part of making it great at the end is this iteration and feedback and trialing and having a much more inclusive process to get to where we need to. So again, completely different style of leadership, but it means that we're not leaving a lot of leaders out on islands when things happen because Mm. they've got teams, they've got constructs, support systems around them to be able to help with that as well. Yeah, so even those who might feel a sort of wavering of, you know, uncertainty in terms of, oh, I'm not really that old-fashioned leader anymore, but the security that actually you can be part of the team as being the leader but being part of the team, you don't have to have all the answers, as you say. You don't have to do it on your own. And we're seeing networks of organisations now much more, the networked organisation rather than, as you said, the hierarchical, which – Again, it's just, it's a new sort of way of being in power and empowered that not only the leader's empowered, but the worker as well, which they want more of. And as you say, meaningfulness is much more what a worker wants. And yeah, it's much more egalitarian and, and fulfilling for everyone. Yes. And that's the other thing. I mean, we know that people who are more engaged and who have more meaning and purpose in their roles are more likely to stay with organizations. You know, they want to feel like they're being part of Mm. a system, being part of something that they're making a contribution to it. So it not only has an impact on the individual sense of self, but also positive outcomes from the organizational perspective. And then for those leaders who have, you know, these people who are willing to be there with them. Yeah. And that sense of ownership. And there we go back to the organizational crafting, job crafting, career crafting that organizations win as a result of the employees being part of that process. The employees are winning. So it is very much a new landscape that we're in. It is. Yes. So in terms of 
from the workers' point of view, being part of the organisation in this new way, what's your best advice to workers, not just organisations, in terms of moving forward? Well, I think there's a couple of things. So we are in an employee's market, as I said, you know, at the start, yeah. and it is a great time to make sure that you are really aligned and really where you want to be as a worker. You know, there are a plethora of jobs out there at the moment and opportunities, which are really fantastic. And, you know, if you've got, particularly if you've got in-demand skills, it's a great time to look around and, and make sure that you are really aligned with where you want to be at the moment. You know, there's values alignment and purpose alignment, but there is coming back to that conversation around flexibility, you know, is your organization giving you what you need? You know, is it giving you the flexibility that you need? Is it, you know, is there an EVP, an employee value proposition that works for you? So I think that asking, having a bit of a a self-reflection exercise and, and looking at those questions is really important and it's such a great time to do that as well. I think, you know, the other thing is thinking about the pace of change. We as individuals, we need to think about whether our skills are, you know, up to date and mm-hmm. there's always an opportunity. And there's so many great online learning, you know, resources and opportunities now, but we need to think about, you know, do we have transferable skills, skills that are going to set us up well for the future? And how am I making sure that, that I am really a continuous learner, yes. that, that I have a growth mindset, that I can make sure that, you know, I continue to develop myself proactively into the future as well as we see that things start to change. And then I think the other thing is, is your voice being heard in organizations and how can you start to contribute to the greater good in your organization? You know, I've just had this big conversation about, you know, leaders being much more inclusive in their style. And that also requires employees to say, yes, I want to be a part of this. I want to give my opinion. I want to help, you know, to shape the direction of this organization. I want to give you my feedback. I want to give you my suggestions. I want to be a part of creating this journey for all of us. Great advice and also pushing back on their organisation about training and learning opportunities, seeking those, requiring those, that organisations may need to pivot and find these resources for staff if they might lose staff, if they're not helping to keep them learning. Yep, absolutely. Particularly in this environment where there is a, it, it's challenging because you might not be able to get the resources that you need, but there's also a really great opportunity to develop the people that you already have. Mm. So for the, again, for the benefit of the organization and the benefit of those individuals, that's a great opportunity to invest in the workforces that you already have, both from an outcomes perspective, but also from a retention perspective. Which is a lot cheaper than replacing staff. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, look, this has been fantastic. I think, Caitlin, is there anything else that you want to discuss? No, I think it's been such a great conversation and I think it is a challenging time. There are so many challenges at the moment, but like I said, this has been the biggest change to work that we have had Yes, and there's a lot going on at the moment, but there's such a wonderful opportunity to take a pause and say, how do we 
collectively, you know, in organizations move forward at the moment in a way that is going to set ourselves up well for the future? How do we design for, for, you know, to optimize this reality? How do we start to make sure that we've got a sustainable path forward? for our organizations. It's not easy, but it takes very, very deliberate thought and effort to be able to do so, but it's worth it. Well, such an exciting time when you really look at it the way you look at it for organizations and employees. So I think you've inspired all of us, Caitlin. (laughs) Thank you. So if people want to reach you, Caitlin, they can find you on LinkedIn. What's your preferred address? Absolutely. LinkedIn is the number one location. I'm very active on there. So please feel free to reach out to me. It's Caitlin Guilfoyle and my name will be in the the show title and the show notes as well to get the spelling on that. Wonderful. And do you want to plug anything else? I think what's relevant to this conversation is we've got a latest report, Balancing Act, which is all about hybrid working. We looked at the last two years and what's worked well from a hybrid working perspective, so the things that people have really enjoyed, and also some of the challenges that we're experiencing that, again, organizations need to think about. So that's a really handy report, and we've also got a how-to guide to give organizations a bit of help on this journey, which has got a lot of questions and tips and actions that organizations organizations can take to help get them started. What excellent resources. So do people just Google PwC? Yeah, absolutely. So if they Google Balancing Act and PwC, it will come up or PwC Future of Work. We've got a whole Future of Work page on on our PwC website, which has got all of our reports and tools and resources on there as well. Brilliant. And look, I'm asking all my guests one question as well. What makes you psyched for life? Well, I mean, uh, conversations like this, I actually <laughs> love. <laughs> so, you know, I, I love hearing what's, you know, from a, from particularly from a work perspective, I love hearing, you know, what's happening in organizations and all of the great things. I love talking to other experts that, you know, are related for this. But I also think that we're just in a really exciting time. You know, I also, you know, I live in Melbourne and I love living here and I love, you know, being part of the culture of Melbourne and eating and, you you know, getting out and seeing all of the things. I think there's so many things that, you know, we have to be grateful for at the moment, both in our in our personal lives and in our work lives. And whether you, you know, you blend those a little bit more than we used to <laughs> or not, there's great things on both sides of the fence. Wonderful, Caitlin. Thank you so much for all your invaluable information today. And you're just a delight to talk with. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for having me. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 397 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7 on 1800 1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.